0: Good morning. Everybody feeling all right? Everybody's looking good? You're welcome. I said thank you. Everybody looking good? All right. We have uh, Miles, Keisha, are you around here? Hey, there you are. You're back there. Come on up here, man. We got a baby dedication today. Yeah, yeah. This will be good. Well, this kind of. Uh, I guess we could see, does anybody need a Bible? While we're making their way this way, we could get a Bible in your hands. If you need one, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll make sure we get one in there. If everybody's good, that's great. Just make your way right on up. Just be careful. We got stairs and cords and all kinds of trip hazards to embarrass yourself on if you happen to trip on them, but uh, what a... precious, precious child. Look at you. I don't want to scare you. I just do this. Okay. I have this thing with kids. like I oh, go, and they're like, ah. and then all of a sudden, like what was supposed to be a blessing, I've just turned to a nightmare for the child. But this is, uh, this is Keisha and Miles, and this is baby Riley. And uh, they contacted me and said, you know what? We really want to uh, dedicate. And ultimately, what is, it, what is a, a baby dedication? It's really just a ratification, isn't it? I mean, all we want to do is just ratify publicly uh, in the presence of these witnesses in this body what you've already done personally and privately as parents, and that is to recognize that children are a gift from the Lord, and it is our due diligence and responsibility to then uh, offer them back, to the Lord, um, and uh, the the baby dedication kind of stems from you go all the way back in the ancient uh, history of Israel, and you and you find you guys can come right on over here if you'd like, uh, and you find there in the in the book of First Samuel where Hannah is uh, you know she's barren and she's. Uh, Just absolutely devastated and heartbroken over her situation and she's there at the tabernacle and she's weeping and and the priest Eli He's like, why are you, you know, he thinks that she's drunk actually because she he can see her mouth moving But no words are coming from her mouth and he's like, no, I'm not this isn't this isn't the alcohol There's no alcohol. I'm not drunk, but but this is the sorrow of spirit, you know And and he says, you know what? Uh, The Lord has heard your cry and uh, the idea was she was there before the Lord and saying, God, if you will just give me a son, I will give him back to you to serve you all the days of his life. And in that, we recognize that children are a gift from the Lord. And even in the time of Christ, you see Mary and Joseph taking baby Jesus up to the temple to be uh, dedicated and just consecrated. And the whole hope is that the entirety of their life will be given over to the Lord and blessed by the Lord. And so with that, we're just going to pray and, um, and we're going to offer baby Riley back to the Lord. Would you all just bow your hearts and, and, and agree with me? Lord God, we just come before you now and we just thank you so much for this precious life. Thank you, Lord, for this precious family. but Thank you, Lord, for Riley and the gift and the blessing that she is. And Lord, as, as even when you called Jeremiah and you told him that before you formed him in the womb, you knew him. And uh, before he was born, you sanctified him and you had a calling for him. We pray, Lord, and recognize and thank you for the fact that the same is true for, for baby Riley, that you have known her, that you have formed her, that you have called and set her apart and sanctified her. And so to that end, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would pour your spirit out upon her, God, that you would fill her to the overflow with your love. And Father, you spare her that testimony of a life lived, struggling and stumbling in all of the snares of this world, but that she would lead a life sanctified, set apart to you, Lord, even as her name would imply, just valiantly, bravely dedicated, devoted to you in the midst of a, of a dark and dying world, that she would be a beacon of light and hope. And Father, we pray, Lord, for her parents, God you give them wisdom And as they lead her And speak life into her And give words of encouragement and strength to her That they lead her in your way And in your word And so Father we just give her over to you And we thank you for the blessing that she is In Jesus holy name Amen Amen. God bless you guys We have a certificate for you guys too We'll get that to you after service Okay. Awesome God bless you guys All right, what a blessing. Great way to start, huh? Worship, dedication. What more could we add that would make it even better? God's Word. God's Word. Let's get into it, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 11 verses today in a message simply and yet uh, appropriately entitled, The Gospel, And so shall we pray over this time now? Father, we just pray, God, that you would uh, take and make of this time what you will. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that you've already provided. And, God, now we just look forward to what you're going to speak to us, Lord, the the heart that you're going to share with us. And it's my prayer, Lord, that we would have hearts that are open to you, minds that are attentive uh, upon you. And, uh, God, we just uh, pray that you bless for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Top 10, now you ever watch uh, the family, how many of you have ever watched the family feud, you know, like way back in the day, maybe you've seen it or at least you're familiar with it, I may be dating myself when I even say the words family feud, I don't know, but it would always start out, you know, top 10 answers on the board, you know, kind of a thing. Top ten chapters, top ten most important chapters in the Bible. Survey says. Listen, I don't. I, I would. I would shudder to even try and come up with that list, wouldn't you? I mean, is such a list even conceivable? How how do you place the uh, precepts and principles of Scripture in a category of greater or lesser importance? You know, when when the fact is, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I mean, is there such thing as an irrelevant section of Scripture? No, there's just, there's no such thing, because even if a particular portion of Scripture's interpretation doesn't belong to us, i.e., the Mosaic law given to ancient Israel under the Old Covenant, yet we're always going to be able to mine application that is relevant to us. Having said that, if you were to formulate such a list, such as top 10 most important chapters of the Bible or found in the Bible, I just don't see how 1 Corinthians chapter 15 could not be in it. It is that important. It's here that Paul systematically defines the fundamental foundational elements of the gospel by which we are saved. He speaks at length uh, both on the historical reality uh, and the absolute certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means necessarily for you and me personally as believers. And it's here that we have the fullest explanation in all of Scripture of the resurrection body that we will inherit and the living hope uh, that we all possess. And so with that, let's take and turn our attention, beginning in the first verse of the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, When we get to to verses 3 and 4, we will get the content of the gospel. For now, Paul focuses our attention upon the benefit of the gospel. Now listen, I have no doubt that the vast majority of you already know the definition of the word gospel. uh, But in order to just remove any ambiguity, to take away any kind of uncertainty, uh, allow me to reiterate it for you. The word gospel simply means good news. And so it's really the best, most appropriate and fitting word uh, to describe or to define the message that we have because there's no greater news uh, than the fact that we can be saved from the penalty and the power and eventually the very presence of sin because of what Jesus did for us upon the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, is there any better news I mean, it's no wonder that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to quote from the book of Isaiah when he wrote to the the Romans, saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of of good things. They preach the gospel or the good news that you can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glad tidings, good things, how that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the punishment we deserve was poured out upon Jesus, was paid for by Jesus, and through faith in him we're delivered from the heavy hand of God's just wrath and condemnation and are imputed. That's kind of a uh, a Bible word that we like to use or a word that we who teach the Bible like to throw around. Simply means accredited. We can be accredited with the righteousness of Christ and freely given the gift of everlasting life, being robed, if you will allow me, with salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Paul says, I want to reiterate to you. He says, I declare to you the gospel, the good news which I preached or proclaimed that I I brought to you. But what I want you to notice as we're sort of surveying this section of scripture is that if the gospel is to be of any real benefit to you, it's kind of there. Well, there's a, what we might consider or call to be a conditional clause. There's three things that need to happen. Uh, You need to, number one, if you will look there in the very uh, first verse, He says, which you received, in which you stand. And so in these three, two verses, pardon me, we see three things. Number one, you need to receive it, okay? Number two, you need to stand in it. And number three, hold fast to it. Unless you believed in vain. That is, to no avail, okay? So first of all, Paul says that the Corinthian Christians... Received the gospel. What does it mean to receive the gospel? Uh, Well, it means to welcome the message. It means to uh, embrace the message, to take it in, to receive it, is to truly believe it. Not just in your head, okay? We're not talking about just something uh, academically or something that happened, you you know, you'll go ahead and concede to something happening uh, historically, but so... So it makes the transition from your head down into your heart. Paul told the Romans, for with the heart, notice, not with the head, but with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. If the word of God, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to effectively work in us, we must receive it. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you notice receive, that is welcomed, and embrace the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, notice, uh, notice effectively works in you who, what? Believe. Believe. The benefit of the gospel is found, first of all, in receiving it. And the Corinthians did that. And not only did they receive it, but they also, notice, stood in it. So number one, we receive the gospel. Number two, we're to stand in the gospel. Listen, if the word received takes care of an action in the past, it's what I did, then the phrase in which you stand covers what's happening in the present. Does that make sense? Despite all the problems that Paul was dealing with with the Corinthian congregation, and you know them well by now, there were uh, divisions, there was carnality, there was immorality, there was this weird kind of spirituality, but they had these two commendable things going for them. Number one, they received the gospel. And number two, they were standing in the gospel. When you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, you discover that they were quickly being moved away from the gospel to another gospel, which in fact is not a gospel at all. Well, such was not the case here in Corinth. They had received the gospel. They were standing in the gospel. That is, they were being true to the message of the gospel. They were reliant upon the power found in the gospel. Their past relationship was good. Uh, Their present relationship to the gospel was good. But the race wasn't over, was it? Paul says, you have to continue to Hold fast that word, unless, he says, you believed in vain. Listen, when it comes to my walk, My forward progression, that's what I mean when we talk about our walk with the Lord, we're talking about moving from, we're growing, right, in a progression, we're we're moving along with the Lord. And when it comes to my walk with the Lord, my relationship with Christ, it's not limited to what I've done in the past, you know, the glory days. Or, Or should I even be as bold as to say even what I'm maintaining now in the present, Ladies and gentlemen, I've got to continue to do well, that is, hold fast to the gospel in the future. You understand that? As we point out from time to time around here, you know, Jesus never said, well begun, good and faithful servant, right? He said, well, what? Well done, good and faithful. In other words, we have to finish well, Having begun in the spirit, we're not going to be made perfect by the flesh. We have to continue to live and walk, again, maintain that relationship with the Lord by faith. Listen, guys, I don't have to tell you, but I will. There are all kinds of things out there in this world, right? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And they're all out there competing for that position to sit on the throne of your heart. To take that place of your priority. Or that want to lead you off into some kind of religious endeavor, legalistic approach to God or something. And we start getting the focus off of what God has done, we start thinking about, well, maybe it's now, you know, I, I, as I, it's about more about like what I do, or maybe what I don't do. And honestly, you guys, to me, I believe that this hold fast principle can be one of the most subtle struggles of the committed Christian. You know, things have gone well in the past, Maybe things are even, you know, you're doing great today, and I'm not trying to say that you haven't had any struggles or stumbles or, you know, any times of temptation, Or, but in the big picture, you know, you're trusting in the Lord, you're in love with the Lord, you know, things are good. The problem that presents itself is the future of what lies ahead, because we can begin to drift. We can begin to gravitate towards sin or just allow that relationship with Jesus to sort of fall into this routine kind of habit. You know, ministry becomes mechanical. And before we know it, man, we've left our first love. We've drifted away. As the author of Hebrews wrote, therefore, because of this reality that can become a a part of our lives, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest we drift away. He didn't say you raise the sails and drive off as fast as you can. Drifting is very subtle. You know, you're out there in the lake and you're on a tube or you're in the boat and you turn the motor off, you're swimming around. Before you know you before you know it, you look up, you gotta get the motor started and get back out in the middle of the lake because you've drifted near the shore, you're getting into some rocky waters or whatever the case may be, and it's just look, time just went by and there you were. You were here, now you're there. And the same thing can happen spiritually. Where perhaps we're still going through the motions. But there's no real emotion or devotion to God. And we have to be intentional about guarding our relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Man, you've got to be on purpose about that. Unless, he says, you believed in vain. Or again, to to know eternal gain, to no avail. In other words, listen to me. It doesn't really matter that you used to be a believer. Man, yeah, you, you know, or, or that when you were young, you were, you know, really on fire for Jesus if you've abandoned all that today. We're to hold fast the word or uh, to to the word of the gospel. Do me a favor. Leave First Corinthians. Okay, turn back in your Bibles, your Old Testament, to Ezekiel chapter eighteen. Okay, we'll wait on you. Ezekiel chapter eighteen. Make your way over there. Give me an amen or something when you find it. Amen. Okay, okay. Some of you are pretty fast. Ezekiel chapter 18, now let me draw your attention to the 20th verse of this 18th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Very interesting, it says, and you've heard this, the soul who sins shall die, you've you've heard people quote that, the soul that sins shall surely die, right? But look at what he says here, the soul who sins shall die. In other words, we're all accountable for our own actions before the Lord, okay? The, the, the intent of our heart, the motive behind the things we do. We're, we're personally accountable for that. That's, that's the context that he's coming out of. In other words, um, he says here that the son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does uh, what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him, to which we say hallelujah, uh, because of the righteousness which he has done or has been imputed in our case right through the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall uh, not, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions shall be... Did I just read that part? Let's read it again. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness he has done. He shall live. Uh, He says, do I have any pleasure at all in the wicked uh, or that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Now look at verse 24. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity... And does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. Think about that. Now, I realize, you guys. Um, We talk about believing in vain. We talk about turning away from walking and, you know, and that there are those who are of a certain theological persuasion or position um, that if someone walks away from the Lord, turns their back on the Lord, that they were never saved to begin with. There are people that that's, you know, that's kind of their understanding. And you know what? Maybe you have a greater understanding of such matters than I do. I don't claim to have it all figured out, nor am I going to debate that matter. I'm just saying the command of Scripture is to hold fast, to be careful. And and honestly, what would be the point of issuing a command to hold fast if it was an irrelevant or inconsequential or wasn't even necessary ultimately really to even hear? I mean, think about it. We're to be careful to maintain a relationship with God that is based upon grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I would just say John chapter 15, right? That's the safety zone. Abide in Christ. You don't want to know how much you can sin and still be saved. Well, can I do this and be saved? Can I do that and be saved? Listen, you're already already on thin ice. Let's think about abiding in Christ, drawing near to the Lord, uh, having a, a relationship that is intimate with the Lord. How close to Jesus can you get before you see Him face to face? Let that be your challenge. Abide in Christ. Salvation by grace through faith is the benefit of receiving, standing in, and keeping hold or holding fast to the truth of the gospel. And so now he's established this benefit. Paul moves on to the content. Look at verse 3. He says, "...for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." Ladies and gentlemen, this is what I refer to as historical facts prophetically foretold. What that means, as we're going to see, is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, was not an accident. It was not something that God had to, you know, adopt on the fly as things went terribly and tragically wrong. Uh, but no, it was it was a part of God's plan from eternity past, as Peter refers to him as the land, lamb slain from before the foundations of the world. It was put in place, God's plan of redemption being put in place before the world began. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is not a philosophy. It is not an ideology. Uh, It is not good advice or even a motivational speech. It's not a once upon a time, happily ever after kind of fairy tale. It's an event. The gospel is an event that took place in history that contains the power to change the eternal destiny of all humanity. You understand that. And that's why Paul reminds them and just so you know my my bible has underlines all over it in here, okay? And he says, "For I delivered to you, notice these three words, first of all." I delivered to you first of all. He says, "When I rolled up in Corinth, my very first order of business wasn't to socialize." It wasn't to, uh, you know, mix and mingle. It wasn't to entertain. My priority, you see, was to deliver to you that which had been entrusted, Paul says, to me. The phrase, first of all, speaks of the priority of importance. Guys, The message of the gospel is the most important information that you or I could ever deliver, ever proclaim, ever make known. And listen, I understand that mentality, and it's a prevalent one in our culture, and our society, and I have... No qualms with it ultimately, okay? Uh, that, that mentality that says, well, it's important that we develop a relationship with someone first, and then once we kind of have that relationship with them, you know, we'll, we will impart the gospel uh, to them. That's fine. It's not what the apostles did. It's not the order that you find in, in, in your uh, Bible. Listen, when they entered a town, they had a message to deliver, and they didn't wait until they made friends to do it. Does that make sense? Because there's an urgency about it. What was the message? Well, Paul says, I delivered to you that which had been first entrusted to me. In other words, when he says this, he's saying, look, I didn't, the message I gave you, I didn't make it up. It, it's not uh, original with me. It, it, it's not, um, it didn't come from me, but I received it. And not from man. Paul actually receive the gospel from Christ himself. Do you realize that? Um, you can read the book of Galatians in the very first chapter, verses 11 and 12. Paul is very, very clear about the fact that the, Jesus himself is the one who uh, gave the gospel to him. But family, this is an important point. What's an important point? Well, that it's never my design. In other words, Paul says, I delivered that which I received. What does that mean? Well, again, at the risk of being repetitive, it means that he wasn't the one who came up with this information. Um, it's, let me try and bring it forward a little bit. It's never my desire to bring anything new to you. Okay, perhaps you've heard the phrase, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new, you know, pastors, as much as occasionally they will feel the sense of pressure, you know, to want to be original, you know, God help me to never want to be original, you know, we aren't inventors of new and exciting doctrines, We're just repeaters who reiterate over and over and over again the message that we've received. And the message that we've received is one that's based not upon opinions, you know, well that's your view, this is my view and all of that. It's not a matter of view, it's a matter of facts. What are the facts of the case? Right? Now, so, a, a view, I mean, we all have different, in other words, you're, you're standing on this side of the road, I'm standing on that side of the road, and, you know, Chris is over there on that, you know, angle, and we see a car crash. Well, we, may, we all have a different, you know, point of view, right? But the fact is, this car hit that car. Okay, so the gospel isn't about points of view, it's about the facts of the case, okay? Fact number one. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The death of Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, the Son of God, is the center, the epicenter of the gospel. Why? Because of the reason for which he died. Guys, it wasn't because of any wrong that was uh, found in him, okay? It was for the sin that is intrinsic within us. And this is is very important to hang on to. This is part of something we hold fast to, right? And that is that the gospel is, is, is about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about something you need to do, okay? You see, sin presents a problem, It separates us from God. As we read earlier, the soul that sins shall die, but the Bible declares as well, the wages of sin is death. And again we read, for the life of the flesh is in the blood... And I have given it to you, that is the blood upon the altar, to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Guys, don't ask me the how. Okay, this is in the, the divine scheme of things. This is the wisdom of God at work. But it's life for life. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, of course, the problem is that it's impossible for sinful man to atone or pay for sinful man, right? Because that's like, that's like trying to clean your already dirty carpet with a, with a handful of, of throwing dirt on it. You know, it's like, well, let me just throw some more of this on top of there, and maybe, you know, it's just not going to help at all. It's dirt on top of dirt. And since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that creates what we call the sin dilemma. And there's nothing that we can do to atone for our sin. you, You cannot put forth a perfect sacrifice. It's just, it's absolutely impossible. Why? Because you're putting it forth from an already flawed position. Does that make sense? So your best effort is already coming forward from a, a flawed or sinful kind of place. And so God solves the sin dilemma by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ Being fully human, He can stand in the gap on our behalf. Uh, Being fully God, He's without sin. He is perfectly holy and righteous. And through the shedding of His blood, atonement is made for our souls. You see, here's the, the, the principle that Scripture puts forth. That we are as humanity under what is called a federal headship. Okay, and I use this example all the time. Just like in America, we're under a federal government. I don't care if you like, don't like; it doesn't matter. Right now, our president is one man who represents our entire nation. Right, one man by the people for the people. Well, the same is true, true scripturally. If by one man, that is Adam, sin could enter the world, then even so, through one man, that is Christ, the sin of the world can be atoned for, to which we thank God and his wisdom in putting forth a federal headship over humanity. Somehow, and in some way, as Christ was hanging upon that cross, family, an awesome spiritual transaction took place in that God the Father laid upon him the iniquity, the sin, the guilt, the shame of us all. And Jesus bore the wrath that we so deserve. And he bore it in himself perfectly, totally satisfying the righteous wrath of God in our place. In 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it like this. He says, for he made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. Again, it wasn't plan B. Uh, The crucifixion didn't take God by surprise. It was prophesied. It was planned before the world began. It was prophesied centuries in advance. Isaiah 53 speaks of how he that is the Lord has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and it's by his stripes that we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one, no exception, to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin and guilt of us all. Guys, Jesus didn't die Uh, for a political cause um, or as an enemy of the state he died for our sins that's the fact of the gospel the first fact of the gospel fact number two he was buried that's what Paul says here now why is this detail important well um, because it confirms his death Family, you don't bury someone unless they're dead. Uh, Jesus didn't just disappear. They had his body. They took him down from the cross. They wrapped him in grave cloths. They carried him to a tomb, and they buried him. Now, again, this was according to Scripture. We read, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man at his death. Now, I should also say this. There are more Scriptures to testify to the things I'm sharing with you. I'm just limiting the ones I give you for the sake of time, okay? But I encourage you to to, uh, research the Scripture, So fact number one, he died for our sin according to the scripture. Fact number two, he was buried. Fact number three, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And family, I can't stress this strong enough. The the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an integral, indivisible, vital element of the gospel message. Okay? For many reasons. Uh, one of which being that a dead Savior can't save anybody, okay? Another being that his resurrection bears witness to his sinless life, or the sinless life of Christ, uh, assuring that he was the perfect sacrifice. Uh, why? Listen, if the wages, and think it through, if the wages of sin is death, and Jesus Himself had sin in his life, he could not conquer death. All right, death would have held him. But if he's sinless, it's impossible that death should hold him down. The resurrection would be inevitable. Another being that this is how he verifies that God the Father did indeed accept his sacrifice as sufficient to atone or to pay for the sins of the world. You know, perhaps you've heard something along the lines of, if the death of Jesus was the payment for sin, then his resurrection is the receipt or the proof of payment in full. Guys, the resurrection shouts, paid in full, payment received, debt abolished, now, we could also point out that the resurrection underscores the credibility of Jesus himself in that uh, it shows that he was not a liar. He was not a, a lunatic. I mean, Jesus said on multiple occasions that he would be crucified and on the third day he would rise again. So if he didn't, then he would be instantly dismissed as, as insane, right? Uh,. And honestly, that's the primary reason that the religious leaders had his tomb guarded, to prevent any kind of tampering with the body or false allegations of resurrection. They said, man, this guy said he's going to rise on the third day, so take that Roman uh, sect down there and seal the tomb and put your guards over it and the whole thing. But it's fascinating to realize that even the resurrection was foretold in Scripture. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You might write down so you can look it up later, it's Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. It speaks of Jesus being begotten, not from the womb, but from the tomb. And we know that from Acts chapter 13 and verse 33 and other passages. And as for the third day, guys, there's a number of pictures of that as well. You remember Abraham after he was told to take his son, Isaac, his only son, whom he loved and to offer him as a sacrifice. He was to be the picture of the father who would offer his only begotten son. And for three days he traveled until he got to Mount Moriah. And during that time, the Bible says that Abraham reckoned Isaac as as dead but on the third day he received him back alive you know Jesus pointed to the three days and three nights of Jonah in the belly of the great fish as a picture of him being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and so you know God's Plan of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. Guys, it was foretold prophetically. It's been shown historically. Now look at verse 5. He says, and that he was seen uh, by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the 12... After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some, he says, have fallen asleep or have died. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So fact number four. So fact number one, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Fact number two, he was buried. Fact number three, and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Fact number four, eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And this is the final piece of evidence to the case that Paul is building, that Jesus was raised to life bodily. He wasn't a phantom. Uh, people weren't hallucinating. I mean, 500 people all hallucinating the same exact thing at the same exact time? Probably not. Uh, Jesus had risen from the dead. And we love the fact that after appearing to the women that he appeared first to Peter. Peter. You know, one might think that he, if you know the story, you might be prone to think that he would have appeared to Peter last. I mean, like, if at all, right? Because Peter had denied him, like, three times. But guys, this is the love of our Lord. You know, that he would restore Peter publicly. Yes, do you love me, Peter? And he gave him that chance to confess his love three times. You think that was coinkydink? dink? No. But he went to him first and restored him privately. And then he was seen by the 12. Now, by that point, Judas was dead. We know Thomas wasn't there in the first meeting. The 12 is just, guys, it's just like a figurative term for the Jesus's inner circle. Okay. The original disciples. After that. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Now we don't see this specifically in Scripture, probably alluded to in Matthew 28 um, when Jesus is addressing all of his disciples in what we call the Great Commission, to go into all the earth and to preach the gospel to every creature and all of that. Listen, I have a question. How do you know that Julius Caesar ever lived? how do you know that? Well, you know, people wrote about him. I mean, assuming they didn't make it up. And there were eyewitnesses to him. And so you trust the testimony, even in a court of law, of eyewitnesses. I mean, you only need two, maybe three. Is that correct? Two or three? Um, if you have... 500 eyewitnesses in in a court of law. I'm going to assume that's a wrap. Okay. Uh, Guys, the factual historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is overwhelming. Okay. Paul says there are hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. What he's telling the Corinthians is go talk to him. Ask them for yourself. This message did not originate with me. I'm not making this up. Now, after that, after the 500, he says he was seen by James. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dads, right? Uh, But his brothers, as you read through the Gospels, they didn't believe in him before he rose from the dead. Well, then, you know, the prophet without, is without honor in his own home, right? I mean, there you are, your brothers, your big brother's Jesus, and it's—I mean, look, can we just be honest? That's probably going to get on your nerves because you're always being compared. You know, he's never doing anything wrong. He always does what I ask him to do. Why can't you be more like your brother? You know, kind of a thing. And so you're just going to be like, mm, you know, and uh, and so they just dismissed him, but. By Acts chapter 1, his brothers are believers, and James becomes the leader of the early church. Pray tell, what changed? What happened? How did he go from such a skeptic to an absolute faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Two words, the resurrection, okay? Jesus appeared to him, met with him, and then all the apostles saw him. And then, lastly, the, the last earthly, bodily appearance of Jesus, he appeared to Paul. As one born out of due time, in other words, that, that actually doesn't mean too late; it means too early. It's almost like a the word they would use for like an abortion or something like that. It, what it means is that Paul didn't get that three-year gestation period, so to speak, uh, that the other uh, disciples did. He came suddenly. Remember, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, almost freakishly. There, uh, he was he was brought into the the fold uh, as an apostle. Ladies and gentlemen. The the cumulative testimony of these eyewitnesses, it's overwhelming. Not only did they see Jesus after his death, but they saw him in a manner that revolutionized their faith. Many of these followers of Christ would die horribly tragic deaths because they refused to deny what they saw with their own eyes. And that is Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I suggest to you, I'm saying you, people aren't willing to die for a lie. You know, I mean, at, at least not all 12 of them. Maybe one would be dumb enough to do that. But not just like a quick and painless death, but like a horribly, torturously painful death. All you got to do is deny it. We'll let you go. I can't deny it. I mean, think it through. Now, why didn't Paul present the eyewitness testimony of the women? You ever think about that? Like he's got all these witnesses, but Jesus appeared first to to the ladies. Honestly, it was, you know, to be uh, truthful with you, more than likely because in this day, uh, a woman's testimony it wasn't even received like in a court of law. Uh, even though their testimony was true, uh, they bore witness to the 12 that morning, the world of that day in general would reject that testimony because it came from women. And so Paul doesn't even put it forward as he's uh, you know, talking to the Corinthians here because he knows their mindset. And so he shares the testimony of all the men, right? Now, uh, look at verse nine, guys. We'll finish up here. He says uh, that he was seen lastly by me also as one born out of due time. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Underline it, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And therefore, uh, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul says, Jesus appeared to me, but I I barely place myself in the apostles' company because my situation is very different. And you can read the book of Acts and find out, you know, his story in detail. But as to where he says they followed Jesus faithfully for all those years, I persecuted the church of God. I tried to eradicate the name of Jesus, you know, from the face of the earth. And then as I said, verse 10 is worthy of a highlight or an underline. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul gave the grace of God, all of the credit for the change in his life. He was forgiven, cleansed, filled with God's love where there used to be hate and it wasn't because of any work of his own, it was the work of God's grace in his life. Listen to me, the grace of God that saves your soul will change your life. You understand that? Now of course, not every change will happen instantly or immediately, you know. Uh, but he will change you. God's grace will go to work in you and change you from the inside out. And I want you to notice, guys, as we're kind of drawing down here, that, that the grace of God, we're not saved by works, Right? Uh, we're saved by grace, but saving grace will result in works. Does that make sense? Not saved by works, but saving grace will result in works. The way I see, you know, in other words, he says, his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored. Man, I went to work. And it reminded me of that passage when Jesus spoke and he said, you know, the one who's forgiven much... Loves much. It's it's that sense of, you know, when the realization of the enormity of God's grace toward your life sets in, guys, when the realization of the enormity of the grace of God toward your life sets in, you can't not serve Him. You just can't. And, And guys, and it's not guilt, it's not guilt, it's gratitude. Does that make sense? It's that understanding of, God, after all you've done for me, how can I not serve and give all that I am to you? Guys, God does not desire that we should receive his grace and, and then just sit passively and idly by. And again, good works, whether it's serving or tithing or uh, studying or you know whatever it is, they're not ways in which we seek to get God to respond to us. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the way we respond to Him, His goodness and His grace toward our lives. Now look at verse 11, and uh, if you want to make your way forward, we'll close right here. Therefore, He says, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. In other words, the vessel through whom the message comes is, is irrelevant. What matters is that you receive it and that you believe it. It's how salvation occurs. One person shares the message, another person believes the message, and God accounts that faith as righteousness, accounts the righteousness of Christ to you by grace through faith in Him. And so here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. So where do you stand? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your love and for your grace. That you would reconcile the world to yourself through the cross of Jesus Christ. It can be so overwhelming, Lord, for us. Your great love. We believe it. And we receive it. We stand in it. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to hold fast the word which has been preached to us. God, that our reliance would never be upon what we do, but upon what you have done for us. Father, I just pray that truth would just begin to settle down into our hearts even now. And I don't know, guys, I I, uh, just like to always give the opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've come with friends or family or just of your own accord or maybe you've been here many times, I don't know. But you've not believed, you've not received Maybe you go, yeah, man, I believe that Jesus lived, you know, died, maybe he rose again, I don't know. Part seems a little weird, but okay, whatever you say. You know, that's that's not receiving. That's that, kind of that uh, head knowledge we speak of. But if you've not made your stand, put your faith in the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment in full for your sin, then I invite you to do that right here and right now. I would be, I mean, remiss to not give this opportunity today. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so I just encourage you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, where you've been, or what you've done. I'm talking about turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. If that's happening in your heart even now, I just want to pray for you. Would you show me who you are? Would you just lift your hand? If I see your hand, I'll say it, and you can just put it back down. But I just want to give you a moment. I, I see you, brother. I just want to give you this, uh, this moment here. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we, we try to complicate it. We think, man, we, it can't be this, this, this easy. And yet, Lord, you have done everything to make it so simple that if we'll just believe on you, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we thank you for that. Strengthen us in that. Lord, just as a body that we would turn, Lord, we would ask that you would search our hearts, that you would know us, that you would see if there be any wicked way in us, and that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Guys, we have the communion tables down here. The one cup is actually two and underneath it there you have your little bread there. Um, and so we're going to take a moment here before we close and just remember the Lord and what He's done for us, what it means to us uh, at this time. And so the way we do this, as you are probably familiar by now, but if you're new with us today, we have a table on each side of the stage and one on you know, the back of each room. And they're just there for your convenience, whichever you feel so inclined to visit. Uh, you don't have to, but you are welcome to partake with us. Okay, we have open communion, meaning whether this is your church home or not, uh, you are welcome to partake with us. All we ask is that you, and, and, and you know what, and we're not, a, we've, I've mentioned this to you before, I kind of like this doing it this way. And that's why we've not switched back to just passing the plate around. Uh, though obviously if you, if you need someone to serve you, we're more than welcome to do that for you. Uh, but there's just something that takes place in the heart when you take the initiative to stand up and say, I want, to, I want to, to partake of this. And just kind of a reminder, I think, when we're moving forward that we're doing what we're doing, as we talked about earlier, Intentionally. Not passively, well they're going to give it to me So I guess I will But I'm making a personal decision To pursue my relationship with the Lord In this capacity And so Abby's going to lead us in worship And as she does, as you feel so inclined Just make your way forward Take the cup, the bread, take it back to your seat Don't take it till we all have it And we'll partake together But just worship the Lord, focus on the Lord If there's things that you need to get right in your heart With the Lord, then do that now Okay, So uh, go ahead